Mark Twain. Well, I like Mark Twain because uh, Mark Twain was a, a very interesting writer. Mark Twain could write dialect better than any other person that's ever written in the English language. I mean, have you guys read Huckleberry Finn, right? Anybody read Huckleberry Finn as a child needs to go back and read it as an adult. It's a completely different book as an adult. Completely different book. And uh, that's, that's the, an amazing, amazing work, really is. That's the finest. That's, right, that's the best novel any American writer's ever written. To this, I don't know of anyone better than that. I don't even know if anybody would claim they're better than that. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, it was just astonishing at so many levels. You've read it, I'm assuming, right? Did you read it recently or? No, a long time ago. Read it again. Read it again. You won't believe it. It's just, you'll, um, you'll, you'll be, you'll, what you'll say to yourself is, this is the same book I read when I was in sixth grade. It, with, with the experience you've got now, you'll read it again, you'll see that this man was astonishing. Astonishing. You guys are probably close enough if you just want to tilt it to. What would you see as the greatest challenge for the middle-aged individual new to the Texas method? Not doing it. That's the greatest challenge because it's fashionable to do the Texas method. It's too fucking hard for, for older people. The, the Texas method is designed for 23-year-old lifters who want to be a competitive lifter in the sport of powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting. That's who it's designed for. You can't do it. It will kill you. My advice would be to do the 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 four day split. That's a in fact I don't know why in the help that in in the new book for some reason they put the Texas method first and I can't get everybody to stop focusing on that. It's too goddamn hard. You can't. I assure you that as a a guy over the age of forty, you can't do five sets of five heavy squats across on Monday followed by five sets of five benches across on Monday, followed by a heavy set of five deadlifts on Monday, and have a good Tuesday. <laughs> and it may be that you need to get something accomplished on Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and everything else. I, I would, I just, I don't think it's, I think it's an excellent program for a young guy that wants to be a lifter. And that's what it's for. But it's not designed for 45-year-old guys. And if you try to do it, you're going to break something. Don't, don't do the Texas method. Don't try to do the Texas method. Go to the four-day split. Right? Monday, Thursday, presses, chins, assistance, Tuesday, Friday, squats and pulls. That's what you need to do. Don't do the Texas method. Don't do it. Um, general recommendations beyond following the starting strength model uh, for training folks that have had joint replacement. 
why can't you use the starting strength model for people that have had joint replacement? No, no, I'm asking, are there, beyond following the model as closely as we've done this weekend, are there other specific recommendations for folks that... Pay close attention to what's going on. You, we've trained people with knees and hips on this model with the, just following the model without any trouble. Now, I've never trained anybody with a shoulder replacement. Best I can, best I gather from the, looking at the orthopedics of a shoulder replacement, that surgery is the end of your upper body training. It, that's designed just to, so you can sleep at night. It's not designed for loading. I don't think it's good, it's good surgery and that's the very last thing you ever want to do is a shoulder replacement. But if you're 70 and you can't sleep, you got to do something. But 45-year-old guy, there's other options. But if you've got if you've got knees or hips, you just do the method. There is a weight at which you can start any of these exercises, and there is a then you can go up from there and get stronger. In the process of getting stronger the incorporation of the prosthesis into your skeletal remnant is better. It's harder, it's denser, it's stronger, it's just it's another form of adaptation. See, it's easy and you can do, you know, you can train a 40 year old healthy guy with a band and not worry so much, but he's right. 65 year old with a hip replacement. There, there's a place, there's a place, I know that, I know it makes you nervous, but there's a place she can start. There's a weight she can start with, and then she goes up from there. There are increments that can be small enough to allow her to adapt. Those are the ones you use. The method is the method. You just have to adapt it to that particular circumstance. And it's, it's not any different. It's just the, the degrees are different, but the, the, the logic behind the, the process is the same. Okay, so on Friday, you talked about structural limitations in strength science. So what's the one thing that still intrigues you the most about strength? Like the one mystery you still... There's, I, I, I'm not puzzled about any of it. The thing that puzzles me is that uh, uh, the academic environment is not caught up with the clinical environment. It's that that's the only thing that puzzles me, but that's not a that's not a burning ideological question in strength and conditioning. I'm, I, it, most of strength and conditioning is fairly straightforward. We've been actually doing it for many, many tens of thousands of years. And if you just observe the nature of human natural history, you'll know everything you need to know. What what puzzles me is. How does a study get published in 2009 that was conducted with a population of 11 people that purports to claim that there is no difference in 1RM bench press strength when performed on a bench press, a flat bench, or a balance ball? Now that puzzles me. Why was that accepted for publication? And I think that's a much more important question than any actual pertinent question within strength and conditioning. Within strength and conditioning, within 
exercise physiology publication, why was a paper like that accepted for publication? I don't, I don't understand it. And I think that's a gigantic limitation to the acceptance of what we all do in here to mainstream people who are still laboring under the delusion that peer-reviewed research is the gold standard for knowing things. You see what I mean? I'm not, I know how you get your bench press strong. I also happen to know that there aren't any world records that have ever been set on a balance ball. Okay? What I don't understand is, is how do these guys not know that? And why would you ask a question like that and waste a whole semester's worth of 11 kids in your undergraduate program's time and three or four of your master's degree students writing this joke up? And then why would the review committee accept this goddamn? Why would the editor accept this? Why would the, the people on the review board not laugh it out of their office? Those are much more relevant questions than anything that could be learned from such a study because nothing can be learned from such a study. You understand why, of course. Yet, that thing is in the literature. You would be within your scope of evidence-based practice to have your people come in and one day a week bench press on a bench and the other day, bench press while balanced on a ball. Because it's in the literature. So, I know everything there is to know about strength and conditioning, right? I just don't understand the publication process. Is there ever a place for cardio in Southern Saints programs? No. Never? No. Never. No. Do you remember when I said we're she, optimizing the program for strength? Do, do you remember when he told you that VO2 max improves with strength training? Do you remember when he said that since she's playing soccer, she's breathing hard when she's playing soccer and that's cardio? You remember that part? Mm -hmm. So we can't do any amount of cardio. It is forbidden. <laughs> you will not do any cardio on this program. Awesome. It's not optimum. But it, so it will affect your lift. You of course it will. Yes, that's absolutely true. So because recovery is finite. Recovery is finite. If you can deal with not doing your best on a program, go out. Don't just run for an hour. Run for 10 hours. Go out and run as long as you want to run. But if you want to get strong optimally, then don't run. All right. All right, good. Okay. Is it related to these? These are such bad questions that I'm going to go ahead and let you <laughs> let you ask your three because it doesn't actually take any time to answer. And I are going to have a conversation after. We might, in fact. All right. So, if you do the Texas method and you're a 16 year old baby mammal, right. the Texas method works. But if you're I wouldn't do 16 year old kids on the Texas method, no. All right. Well, that's my question. So, if it, if it works okay on the young kids, but it doesn't work right for 50 year olds, where's the cutoff? I mean. About 750 nanograms per milliliter of testosterone would be the cutoff if I had to try to quantify well, I don't it. Have any, so. 
I know. So don't do the Texas method. <laughs> I did five by five for years. I know. And you and how much did you deadlift yesterday? Four oh five? No. <laughs> so it didn't work. So do what we're telling you to do, not the bullshit that you've invented to do for yourself. Okay. But you talk to people all the time and yes. think that thirty five year old men are stronger than eighteen year old boys. And that's just not true. It's no, that, that is not at all what I just got through saying. I know, but I want all right. you to refute that. All right. Well, 35-year-old men that have been training for 20 years are stronger than 18-year-old men who have been training for two years. Yeah. What if they both start? One at 18 and one at 35. Will the 35-year-old be stronger because he's a grown man and can lift more weight? No. No. All right. No, he won't. How long has he been training? 35-year-old men who've been training for 20 years will be very, very strong. They can get strong until they're 40. 15-year-old boys haven't had 20 years to train because they're only 15. Arithmetic, you know. All right. Okay, now, on to better questions. Here, move, move, move down to Joey. Uh, where do sleds go into that? Sleds probably need to start somewhere in intermediate somewhere at the intermediate, the sled will shut down your, your novice progression immediately. It'll shut it down because it's too damn hard. Even with, I've seen light sleds done. Is that a, light sleds are not what we're talking about. I'm talking about pushing the prowler hard will shut down a novice progression the first day you do it because it's too damn hard. So if you just, for some bizarre reason, have to do some conditioning, then you need to go ahead and get your squat up from 135 to 375 and then worry about it. But don't interfere with the process that allows your squat to go from 135 to 375 by throwing a bunch of conditioning in on top of it. Because what's more important? That's, that's, you know, that's our analysis. That's our analysis. People disagree, but that, you know, if you're, if you're, if you, want to get strong and you want to make use of the novice training phenomenon, then you have to let it go uninterfered with. And the sled will interfere with it. Every single time, the sled will interfere with it. 